Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. I'll start over from the beginning. No, I'm just kidding. We, we're not, we don't fit in very well, right? Often. Now, God's household, I would say, has two very important roles. There's obviously more, right? There's two very important ones I want to focus on. The first rule, everyone is welcome through the front door. The second rule is everyone is welcome at the table. Those are two very important rules in God's household. Now, the question is, you're a member of God's household, right? Do people feel comfortable and safe walking through your front doors? Do people feel welcomed at your table? We're we're often not very good at this, right? We have this problem. There are groups of people, there's a number of groups of people that often don't feel comfortable or safe walking through our front doors. Now, today we're going to be talking about these walls of hostility. Walls of hostility. Uh, I didn't come prepared, so here's the wall. We're going to talk about these walls of hostility, and specifically, we'll talk a little bit about the walls of hostility that were in the, in the, in the temple, right? <clears throat> in the temple courts. And uh, we're, we, the reality is that we've built these walls up in our lives. We've built these walls up to separate ourselves from others. We've built these walls up to keep other people separate from us in a lot of different ways. And we're going to be talking about some of those groups of people. But the reality is that Jesus operates differently. Obviously, Jesus' household is held differently, and he operates differently. And we see a lot of really good examples of him setting the example of inviting people to his table, welcoming people into his home that society, and specifically maybe even the Jews, the church, did not do very well. We see him setting this example pretty often. Now, there's a few groups I want to focus on today in his time, right? Women were one of those people groups. The, the poor, the unclean, and the Samaritans, right? These were groups of people that either society or specifically the Jews or the church or maybe both were not very good at, in, in, at welcoming them into our households and our tables, and Jesus did this very, very well. The poor, right, the poor were outcasts. Jesus said, specifically in Luke, in Luke 4, it said that he's here to proclaim the gospel to the poor. In Matthew 5, we see blessed are the poor, right? We see Jesus working overtime to communicate. This is a people group we need to welcome at our table, welcome in our households. Women, right? Women had few rights. They were asked to stay home. They were asked to stay uneducated, Jesus didn't see women in the same way. He valued them, and there were obviously many examples of this, one of which was the woman with the bleeding issue in the crowd, and and she was on her knees crawling, tugging on his garment. garment. And, And the people around Jesus looked at him and said, don't waste your time. She's not worth your time. And Jesus looked at her and said, yeah, she is. Not only did he pay attention to her, 
Not only did he speak to her and, and heal her, but he, he touched her and said, daughter, called her daughter. He valued her in a very, very big way. The unclean, obviously there's a lot of different ways for people to be described as unclean. One of the specifics is uh, leprosy, right? Jesus healed the leper. Not only did he heal the leper and approach the leper, but he touched the leper, which is unheard of, right? The leper was welcome into that courtyard, into that household of you are a human being. I know that society maybe doesn't see you that way, but you are a human being. And he touched the leper, somebody that, something that no one else would do. And this is a big one, racial enemies, This is something that Jesus talked about, specifically when it came to the Jews talking about the Samaritans. There was tension there, right? And we see multiple examples of this, right? We we see Jesus saying, uh, speaking about the story of the the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, Highlighting the fact that Samaritans are human beings, just like us. That Samaritans have capacity to love, maybe even sometimes more than we do as Jews. This was his way to hopefully in some way break down that wall. One really big story uh, was the woman at the well. I'm imagining the disciples and Jesus walking uh, through Samaria, right? The disciples, they kind of split off. I'm imagining this. I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly how it plays out, right? I'm imagining this. They're walking into Samaria and the disciples, they see the woman on this side of this wall and they decide, we're gonna go do some run some errands in town. Like we're gonna go, we're gonna go into Samaria and we're gonna get what we need, right? That's what I'm imagining. And Jesus sees the wall from a different perspective, right? He's otherworldly, right? He is other dimensional. He sees it from a different perspective. He doesn't see the wall in the same way that we do. He looks at the woman and says, that is a, a human being who, who needs love, who needs me who needs saving. So he, he approaches her, and not only does he talk to her, but he actually asks something of her, right? <laughs> Acknowledges she has value to bring to him, right? Really, really big, important story of, of Jesus saying, this is a group that maybe as a society we have not valued, or a, a group of people that maybe we have not uh, allowed into our household, and... I am going to show love to her. Now, the problem right now is that uh, there are groups like this today, right? Um, Groups like this that maybe specifically the church has seen as outcasts, has treated in such a way that they do not feel safe entering our doors, they don't feel welcomed at our tables, even if they feel safe walking through our doors, maybe they don't feel welcomed at our table. And these groups, uh, maybe it's the LGBTQ community, maybe it is people who are refugees, maybe it's people who are not white, right? Maybe it's women. (laughs) This is obviously a hot topic, right? Like, We're talking about communities of people that don't feel safe around Christians. Now, obviously, obviously maybe maybe there's kind of a a broad stroke being painted, but but this is common. 
There are these groups of people that don't feel welcomed through our doors or safe to come through our doors or welcomed at our table. There's a very, very specific group that I want to talk about a little bit today too. This one is interesting. And I won't go into specific details, but some of you know what I'm talking about. There's an online group of people who have left here or left the church because they don't feel safe in the church. You maybe know specifically exactly what I'm talking about. Now, relatively, it's a relatively small group, but still significant group of people who don't feel safe here. And that's a problem, right? Uh, That's an issue. They don't feel welcomed around us. They don't feel safe walking through our doors. They don't feel welcomed at our table. That's a problem. And... I want to talk about this theme, right? You've, you've been on this theme of uproar for the year. And I want to see, I want to talk about what, what is that uproar and in, in how it applies to all of this that we're talking about, right? It comes from Acts 16. I'm sure the last like 10 people have talked about this in the last 10, 10 chapels. But right, it says, they, they brought uh, them before the magistrates, right? We're talking about Paul and Silas, I think, Silas? Yes, Silas. And uh, they brought them before the magistrates, right? And they said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So they're thrown into prison for sharing the love of Jesus with the community, right? They are guarded by a guard who his sole goal is to take away their right to share the gospel. The guard's goal, the guard's purpose is to take away their right to share the gospel. And what do they do? They praise the Lord. They show love to the guard. They welcome him into their household and share Jesus with him. And he's saved. That's a big deal, right? So, so what's, the, what's the uproar, right? Is it, is it that they are calling out everyone who is trying to take away their rights to talk about Jesus? No, that's not the uproar. That's not where it came from. It came from them sharing the love of Jesus with the community, sharing the gospel with the people, surrounding themselves with the people who needed to hear it and sharing with them. That's what caused the uproar. And Paul, he's often, he's often the kind of guy that likes to shake things up, right? He's a guy that likes to do things a little differently. And the interesting thing about Paul is that he, he likes to surround himself, obviously, with people who need to hear Jesus, right? When he enters a city, we see a couple examples of this. When he enters a city, he has two questions that he asks, one after the other. First question that he asks, and we'll see this in Acts 17 in Athens, he asks, where's the synagogue? I want to go to the synagogue. I want to talk to people who need to hear about Jesus, right? We see that in Acts uh, 17 in Athens and Acts 19 in, in Ephesians, right? His second question, the second question that he asks is uh, where do I find the Gentiles? Where do I find the people that don't know God? Point me to them. 
We see that, obviously, in Acts 17. Um, He goes from the synagogue to the marketplace. We see that in Acts 19. He goes from the synagogue to the hall of Tyrannus. Those are the first two places that he goes to start to talk about Jesus. He starts to surround himself with people who have different values than he does, surround himself with people who don't know who Jesus is, who don't act like Jesus did, and he starts to share his, God's love with them. And in, we see in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, he says, basically, I have become all things to all people so that by some possible means I might save some. That's Paul. That is what Paul does. He surrounds himself with people who don't look like him, who don't act like him, who don't believe like him, and shares about Jesus with them. It's powerful. And we're seeing a pattern here, right? At the formation of the church, with Jesus, with the apostles, we're seeing this pattern of of how, how to live out this life of having a subversive identity, specifically as a member of Jesus' household, following his two rules, right? We see this identity. And we've seen a lot of good pictures of this since, right? We've seen this in the church. Um, But, unfortunately, there does seem to be a bit of a shift, right? Obviously, politically, the last few years, things have been very, very hot. And there's people in this room who land on both sides of everything that's been going on, of course. Things have been crazy, right? And I think somehow a little more than ever, even though we've seen this a lot, we saw it in the civil rights movement, we see the church divided on these things, right? We, we see the church in two different camps on stuff like this. It feels like maybe there's a little more of a conservative church that is banded together. I'm talking, I'm talking like far right conservative church who's banded together and said things like, we don't want these groups in our church. We don't think that we should spend any time with them. We don't think we should be around them. They don't have value because they're not like us. And I feel like we're seeing that more than more. I don't know for sure if it's any more than, than any other time in history, but it feels like more right now. We're seeing that, and there's hatred there, and there's walls being built and put up. And obviously, there's these echo chambers that happen on either side, right? Echo chambers of both extremes who, right, like whether you're a believer or not, you, you find your spot, you find your place. You find your people that look like you, that act like you, that believe like you, that vote like you, and you surround yourselves with those people. And you get this echo chamber of all of kind of the same ideas, right? And it's an, a huge issue on both sides. Don't hear me saying one is worse than the other because they're both just as bad. I'm focusing a little more on the conservative side today just because I think it speaks a little more to this topic of welcoming people to the table, welcoming people into the household of God and showing love 
to people regardless of their background, regardless of their beliefs. We have this echo chamber, right? And you surround yourselves with people that look like you, act like you, um, believe like you, and vote like you. And obviously you agree with each other, right? And each, each group of people, they've decided, they figured out, okay, which party is the most Christian? And they've said, I'm going to fit into this party. And this party is now the Christian party in my brain, right? And that's a problem, of course. I, I, would, I would imagine most of you in here understand that is an issue. doesn't matter which side you are on. That is an issue. And if you feel so comfortable in that party, that's, here's the problem, right? We have a gospel that doesn't fit into either. So if the gospel doesn't fit into either, why are you so comfortable there, Right? Again, I'm going to focus a little more on the conservative side today just because I think it speaks a little more specifically to this topic, to inviting people into the household, right? Now, this is, this is, very, uh, this is very interesting. This is kind of, uh, maybe this is a, a thing that you've heard before. Um, uh, we, you see the cross, right? And it's, it's vertical and horizontal. Uh, many of you have heard this metaphor, but I think it's helpful, right? We have this vertical relation between God and us, and we have this horizontal relationship between us and others. That is the gospel. Both are important. And I think the difference here and, and the, the thing that we get caught up in and the problem is that um, social justice without gospel ethics doesn't save anyone's soul, right? On the other side... I've heard this saying, and I, I, think it was, I think it was Brian Loritz I was listening to. He was like, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not any earthly good. Um, some of you may have heard it. Just a, a funny saying, but it's a good reminder that, you know, the gospel is more than just your relationship with Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus. Um, it's not just you and him. It's, it's we are his children um, as a community. So, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Um, it, it does seem like for a long time, the church has kind of been, or was, at least at the formation, uh, was more on the cutting edge of social justice. And it, it almost feels like now, we're, we're almost on the opposite side. As a majority, Right, seems like at the formation, there were Jesus and the apostles were on the cutting edge of loving these communities of people that society and the Jews did not love, did not welcome. And it seems like especially, I'm more especially talking about the far right conservative echo chamber, more often are they subverting culture in the opposite direction, saying we don't want culture to impact our gospel. We don't want culture to try to tell me that I need to love those people who Jesus doesn't love. <laughs> eh, I, I, don't, I don't know about that, right? Like Jesus welcomes them into, their, into his household. Jesus welcomes them to his table, right? So we're over here and um, Man, kind of the, the, there's a lot of issues, obviously, I have with that. 
Um, first, first thing is that you say, I don't want culture to impact my gospel. And you, you use that as an argument. And I say, I don't either. I, I, don't, I don't either. I, I don't think culture should impact the gospel at all. I, I agree. I agree. I don't think it should. I think that the gospel should impact culture. I think that we should subvert culture, right, in that we are, as the church, as the people of God, as the household members of God, going into culture and impacting culture. Specifically, I think today, by welcoming people through our doors, welcoming people into our house. Now, of course, uh, there's a balance here. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to go into all of that. I don't know where where that stops necessarily, but um, I do think maybe we've started going in the opposite direction. Um, so today, we, uh, we're looking at Ephesians a little bit. So intro's done. Um, we're going to get into scripture. Uh, so Ephesians 2 um, starts with a therefore, right? What's the therefore, therefore? Um, basically, the rest of the letter uh, is, is Paul saying, um, God created us. God has a plan for us. God brought us up while we were still sinners, right? When we were at our worst, he brought us up from life to death for good works, therefore. So God did a lot, right? God did it all, really, therefore. Remember that formerly you were, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. <laughs> Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near to, by the blood of Christ, for he, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, but uh, by which he put to death their hostility." He came and preached to you who were far away and peace, uh, and peace to those who were near. And through him, uh, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, there's obviously a lot here, um, a lot that we don't have a whole lot of time to cover. I know I have 40, only 45 more minutes. So specifically, I want to focus on reconciliation, the reconciliation that's happening here. Leading up to this passage, obviously, we see that God has reconciled us to him. When we were at our worst, when we were at our most sinful, he brought us up and he reconciled us to him. 
This reminds me of another metaphor, maybe one that you've heard, and I've, I've talked about it a little bit. It's the metaphor of the table. And obviously there's something very exhilarating about the fact that God has welcomed us into his household, right? That's important. That's exhilarating. There's something even more precious and exhilarating that he has not only invited us into his household, but he's joined us at the table. He's invited us into conversation. Even when we were at our, our, our most sinful, at our, our most depraved, he looked at us and he welcomed us into his household. He, he invited us to his table. We don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to be a servant in his household, much less be a member that's allowed at the table. And the thing about God's table is that everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. We saw it in Mark chapter 2 right? He, he grabs Levi from the tax collector booth and they both go to his house for dinner. And Jesus sat, um, and as Jesus sat down um, around the table with these tax collectors and sinners, people would ask him why. And he said, it's not the, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's, it's the sick, right? He invites them to his table. He didn't support their lifestyles, um, but he invited them to his table, so what does it mean to be a member of God's household then? What does it mean to have a table like Jesus' table in his household? We see this with Paul. Obviously, he entered a city. He went directly to the people that needed Jesus. He went directly to the people that didn't have the same values yet that he did. He went straight to them. There were two questions. Where is the synagogue? Where are the Gentiles? I'm going to them. Those are his two things. We see it with Paul, right? Uh, we see examples of this all over the place, right? We see examples of Jesus when he healed the woman and he called her daughter, right? When he uh, touched the leper, when he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. We see examples of what it means to be a member of God's household, what it means to subvert culture as a member of God's household. And here's the thing. We see that a subversive member of God's household invites people to the table. A subversive member of God's household invites people to the table. So how does that work? We're going to look at one verse. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the wall of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility. Obviously, this one was between uh, Jew and Gentile. Um, it reminds me of, of the ones in the temple courts um, between you know, the, the Gentile court, uh, the court of women, the Israelite court, the priest court, the Holy of Holies. Um, there's these separations, right? These, these different groups that are not welcome to worship with one another. Jesus has torn these walls, these dividing walls of hostility down. Now, the question is, who maybe have you built up walls and blocked out of your life? Maybe that is someone in the LGBT community. Maybe that is, uh, maybe it's a specific ethnic minor minority in the area, though there aren't many. <laughs> maybe, uh, it's a specific religious 
minority. I don't, I don't know what specifically that is for you, but what walls have you built up? What people have you blocked out of your life? Maybe, maybe that's people who have resettled here recently um, as refugees, um, people who have immigrated here. Um, I know, obviously, there's kind of a, a vast range of um, social consciousness and, and in the room. Um, there's probably the whole gamut in here, right? You might be in here and you might be like, well, if you can't speak our language, then go back to your home. Uh, I don't imagine you're in here. Pro- I, you know, I, I would imagine probably there's, there's more, uh, more compassion in this room than that, right? Um, but you might be on the other side of the spectrum and, and you're working closely with families who are in some of these minorities. Maybe you're working closely with people who have uh, recently resettled here. Maybe you've welcomed them into your home. Maybe you've welcomed them into uh, to your table, right? For, for a meal, for community. I don't know where you're at specifically. Um, but ask yourself, who are you inviting to your table and who are you excluding from it? Who feels safe entering your front doors and who doesn't? If you're a member of God's household, he's got two important rules. Everyone's welcome through the doors and everyone's welcome at the table. I think this is really important, though it's, it's difficult, right? Obviously, subversive, we're talking about is that subversive members of God's household invite people to the table. And I, I listened to a few podcasts of um, some comedians that I, I like, they're funny. Um, a couple of which were Christians who have maybe walked away from the church, um, deconstructed their faith, uh, as they would say. And it seems like a lot of them have similar, um, a similar view of the church. And I understand that maybe it's kind of a broad, um, a broad stroke, but it's genuinely how they feel. They say, they say this, they say that Christians are racist, homophobic, transphobic, and sexist. Maybe those are the sections of your courtyard today. Maybe those are the walls that you have built up against people who don't agree with you, look like you, act like you, or vote like you, who aren't welcome into your household Maybe those are the walls that you have put up. Maybe those are the very people that Jesus wants you to invite to your table that do not feel safe walking through your front doors. It's a problem. Because obviously, to be a subversive member of God's household and invite people to the table, they have to first feel safe walking through your front doors. They have to first feel safe entering your courtyard being in your community. Now, I, I talked about the, the online group of people who maybe have left here um, for certain reasons, um, not feeling welcomed, or uh, honestly, a lot of them I've heard have really just left the church later um, because they disagree with some of the values of the church. Um, I see that as a problem. I have friends who have told me about the group because they're in it. (laughs) Friends that I have sat down with and have talked to about it. Um, I've been asked multiple times, 
why do you still go to church? And obviously that, that breaks my heart, right? Um, but I, I, I try to respond with this. I try to say, uh, I know that your feelings toward the church are, are valid and real. And the fact that you don't feel safe there is, is valid and real. Um, but I believe there are people who would invite you into their household, who would invite you to their table in the church. I believe that. I also believe that those who have households that are set up that way don't reflect God's household very well. I believe in the gospel. I believe in God's love. I believe in the Jesus that I serve. And I know that some of those people that made you feel that way don't reflect the God that I serve very well. And I, I, know, that, I know that, I don't know if anyone in this room specifically has, but others I've heard of have had maybe some different interactions with them. I've heard from my friends of random Facebook messages that say, hey, just praying for you, praying that you find your way back to Jesus. It's not, not necessarily what they, they want to hear, right? Especially those who, are, who have left maybe the church, not because they've left Jesus, but because they don't feel like they belong, because they don't feel like they fit in, because they, they feel like their household is a little more welcoming than your household. And they've left because they don't feel like they fit in, and therefore they don't feel like a Christian anymore, though they believe in Jesus. So when you send a Facebook message that says, I hope you find your way back to Jesus, they look at you and say, you know what, I hope you do too. I hope that you find the Jesus that I have found. I hope that you find the person that loves like Jesus did. It's a problem. This is my last thing, I promise. Uh, Brian Loritz, I, I mentioned him before. Really great preacher. Um, he preached a really powerful sermon. And um, if you want the link to it, just let me know. My card is sitting on the table out there. Grab one, text me. I'll send you the link to this sermon because it, it was really powerful talking about Jose, uh, Hosea and Gomer. Um, and in this sermon, he told a really powerful story. He, he talked about, he's a pastor, right? He and his wife, they met this lesbian couple. They're atheist, but they've started to have dinner together. And they, they've had a, a couple dinners just getting to know each other as humans. And Brian's, he, he'll just sit there and be like, man, I hope they don't ask what I do for a living. <laughs> I just hope they don't. Um, luckily, they had a few dinners before they asked. Um, so a few dinners went by. This couple asked, hey, Brian, I, I realize I, I don't know what you do for a living. And, and Brian says, I, I, I'm a pastor. I, I lead people to Jesus. And the, obviously there, there was a bit of silence. Um, it was a, a little awkward. <laughs> um, but that was it. 
They continued to hang out. They continued to spend time together. Um, They grew closer as friends. And one day, the couple actually called Brian and was like, hey, we just moved into a new house. And remember, they're atheists. And I I was just wondering if, if you would pray over our household. And Brian was like, like pray, like pray to God. And they're like, yeah, like, you know, do what you do. He was like, of course, like, of course, you know, uh, like I'll do that. And uh, he went over and he did and um, left it at that. And of course he got hate on Facebook when they tagged him on Facebook. Um, and from Christians who were like, man, why would you hang out with those people? Um, it was not too long later. Uh, I think they had been friends for years. Um, they called and they were like, hey, Brian, we're, we're, we're coming up on five years of marriage and we want to renew our vows. Would you do that? And his heart sank, right? He was like, he's like I, I know what scripture teaches. And like nervously, he, he explains to them, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't do that. And they were like, stop being so dramatic. Like, we, we assumed you couldn't do it. Like, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. We just thought we'd ask. And that was it. That was it. And the friendship continued. And the, the meals around the table continued. It, it was a, a powerful message with a powerful story. I'd, I'd really um, look at Brian Loritz, um, Hosea and Gomer. I think that I think that Jesus had a similar way about himself to surround himself with people who didn't agree with him, with people who maybe would have otherwise hated him based on who he is and what he believes. And um, they, they kept sitting around the table with him because he kept depositing love into the relationship. Because he invited them to his table and they felt safe walking through his front doors to be there. So if you're in here and you call yourself a member of God's household, I would just challenge you to, to figure out if you're following his, his two rules. Do people feel safe walking through your front doors? And are those people welcome at your table? Because a subversive member of God's household invites people to the table. Let's pray. God, you are amazing. Your word is very challenging. Um, God, we, we just pray today that you would give us the strength and capacity to love the people around us so radically that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are safe in our household, that they are welcome at our table. God, that they belong before they believe in you. I just thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to love on your people, uh, even when we're not very good at it. Um, 
God, I just pray as we leave today, you would help us ask those critical questions. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.